I can't tell you how much I enjoyed saying touch them all. Way back and gone. Touch them all, Joe Maurer. And now these guys are making it relevant to this year's Twins. Now, our two resident hardball nerds will attempt to touch them all on the week's news surrounding the Twins in MLB. Here's Phil Mackey and Derek Wetmore. Hey everyone, welcome to Target Field for this episode of the Touch Em All podcast, where Derek Wetmore and I are stuck in a press room yes. closet. Small coat closet. With, with five what look to be high school lockers, uh, one with uh, the same padlock that I had my senior year of high school, I think. I don't know what this room is. Did they just pick these up from, did you go to Buffalo? I went to or, Buffalo High School, Okay, yes. yeah, oh, yeah, maybe just Buy transplanted those to Target Field here at Cost cutting, maybe I don't know. They had to save some money for all those free agents this winter. Yeah, it's uh, yeah. It's, well, somewhere in there, maybe the the U Darvish contract that they offered is tucked away. I don't know. Uh, there's a million things we can get into just off of the first Astros game from this series. By the time some of you listen, the Twins may have already played multiple games against the Astros. Sure. So later on, I've got like four or five things that good and bad takeaways just from that first game against the Astros. But I'd love to start with because I know you've done some. Some digging around in uh, in the clubhouse, and you've talked to some, some some people who would know Miguel Sano and his approach and his value better than anyone on the outside could. Miguel Sano's strikeouts versus his power and productivity, and at what point do strikeouts matter? I think that's that's a a good way of painting the big picture of this. So he has a 1,000 OPS, and it's a super small sample size. It's an eight-game sample size. But if you were just to ask me, okay, overall assessment of Miguel Sano's first eight games this year, I would have said, disappointing? Like, the guy, he's, he's striking out almost every time he comes up, but he also has three home runs and some thunderous doubles. But overall, I just feel like there's, there's an underwhelming nature to, like, Justin Verlander gets him in a key spot on Monday night, and there's been other spots where he struck out. Uh, his Babbitt, by the way, is 455, yeah. so not sustainable. And uh, I'm just wondering your thoughts on Miguel Sano having the highest strikeout rate in baseball history among qualified hitters that aren't pitchers with a bat. Yeah. I looked that up before the podcast. Wow. So uh, how much do you think his strikeouts matter? What do you think of his start to the season, and what are people saying about him? So strikeouts matter. They matter. Um, there are a lot of um, us stat heads who say, doesn't matter what's your woba. Well, yes, to a degree. Like sometimes we overrate strikeout rate, but it's not meaningless. Like if you woba for uh, non stat geek listeners is OPS. Which again, if you're like if you're not an OPS stat geek listener, I'm sorry. Sometimes we just like throw these things out. Just running there. past, yeah. But woba is a better balanced version of OPS. It properly weights that on-base percentage is more valuable in run creation than slugging percentage by about two times. It's what teams are using, so I've tried to adjust my vernacular. Weighted on-base average is, yeah, a way of just, hey, what's this one player's offensive contribution with a bat in his hand? And so there are some people who say that's the only number that matters, and if he strikes out in half his plate appearances to get there, then fine. I can kind of buy into that, but that's not 100% correct. That's painting with too broad of a brush, for my opinion. It's interesting that you say, if someone had just sampled you and said, like, 
what do you think of Sano so far? You would have said, eh, underwhelming. Because I was going the opposite way. I would have said... And he's been, obviously, like the numbers would show that he's been super productive overall, even though he's right. striking out in 47% of his trips. Let's so, just say... So neither, I, my assessment was wrong. Let's but. say neither of us had Miguel Sano. Fangraphs.com slash status slash Miguel Sano up on our respective screens right now, which we do. <laughs> Kind of coincidentally, we, we I guess. Do, yes. You said, you hey, have- so I want to talk about Miguel Sano, and I was like furiously <laughs> Googling Miguel Sano fan graphs. Here's the most hilarious thing about our screens right now. Uh, the ad placement on, on the right and left side, mine is for Fresh Step Clean Paws Cat Litter, <laughs> because Tommy and Tigger might <laughs> need right. some more cat litter at home. That's funny. Yours is for some weird adult website. I don't know what that's all about. I don't know what you've been Well, this is a work computer. So this... <laughs> If that were the case, I would say it's been nice working with you. I'm not sure how much longer this podcast will be going. Um, but I would have said that Sano's been great. He's had extra base hits. He's this power hitter in the middle of the lineup. He's, he's got some deep counts. He's really he's worked walks at basically, I think, his career rate. I could check that. I mean, a little bit better than his career rate so far this season. And I'm thinking, like, He's a fearsome slugger in the middle of the order, and he's even missed some pitches. Like that's part of this whole conversation too. Is like he'll get a three-two fastball and just like foul it back, and then swing a miss over the top of his lighter. And it's like that's a strikeout, but it's not the same as helplessly walking up there and just watching three fastballs go by, and you know, no chance at production. Whatever. I'll I'll take the roll of the dice with Sano in that spot, if he gets a pitch to hit and he just happens to swing and miss it, like that'll happen sometimes because he's trading, in my opinion, he's making a conscious decision, trading some contact ability for the power output. Sure. He's saying basically, I mean, in in more layman's terms than that, he's saying, I know I'm not going to hit the ball every time. Every time I want, every time I hit the ball, I want to scorch the ball. Which you, know, you can see in his swing. You see that play out. But I almost think, so yes, I almost think he's gotten so pull-happy, though, at this point. And the numbers bear that out from his rookie half season, in which, and we're, we're getting really numbers heavy here in the early part of the podcast, but numbers can validate or invalidate your theory. Um, 27% of his contact went to opposite field his rookie year. It was down to 18% last year, okay. which validates my theory. He walks up to the plate. And understands, I think I think he'd have to be completely oblivious to not understand that pitchers are working him up and or away or both. Yep. They're not throwing him pitches where he ideally would like them. But yeah, he he's still but sure. he's still swinging as if the only thing he wants to do is hit a ball four hundred and eighty feet over the left field fence. Uh there's this there's this other part of his game that we know he's capable of, which is hey, they're gonna work you away, away, down away, and instead of either taking those close pitches for called strikes mm-hmm. or just pulling them into ground ball outs or pop-ups, sure. you can drive that pitch for a single or a double to right center field. And he was doing that a lot more in his first two years than last year. Maybe. And I also think that pitchers are pitching him differently. Like I remember around the All-Star break last year looking up the leaderboards. Incidentally, he got hurt shortly thereafter. But like, there were not very many hitters that are getting a lower percentage of fastballs, which to me is a sign of respect and also a challenge. Hey, we know you can pulverize fastballs. If we try to beat you inside, I mean, I guess Andrew Kashner didn't get the scouting report, but he tried to bust a fastball inside of Miguel Sano. Sano threw his hands through, pulled a fastball over the left field wall. So 
pitchers know that he can do that. He's no longer this like, hey, who's this kid, hot shot prospect coming up here? Well, we know he's got power, but let's see if my fastball plays. Most pitchers are saying like, ah, yeah. <laughs> maybe some change-ups down, maybe try to get some fastballs in on his hands so he can't do damage and then slide her away. Miguel is acutely aware that pitchers are approaching him differently than they're pitching Joe Maurer. Or, to use a better example, they're pitching Miguel Sano differently than they would pitch Eduardo Escobar if he were filling in at third base in that same spot. And so there's this like cat and mouse game that's going on that I think that might play into the numbers you're talking about too, where he doesn't go the other way quite as often. But he still has power when he does. I think the question becomes in my mind, hey, they're going to try to get you away from your strength. So do you take your quote-unquote weakness and try to play that up? Or do you say, hey, I know what you're trying to do, but I'm still going to pull a number of fastballs. I'm still going to try to go to center field and do damage. I'm going to try to wait deep into account, make you make a mistake, and go hunt that fastball whenever I do get it and do some thunderous damage. I think Sano's sort of consciously right now making that trade-off, and it's working for him. Well, let me, let me give you another one here, all right? This is, what, this is how I'm going to answer the question, how much do strikeouts matter? And I'm just going to illustrate something. And let me say, too, I'll tease this. We'll get through your example, but I also talked to Paul Molitor about this to get sort of his insight into this as yeah. not only a world-class hitter, but also Miguel Sano's manager who's having to decide, do I sit down and talk to him about his 47% strikeout rate, or do I just pat him on the backside and say... Go get him next time. Well, that's got to be tough, too, because Paul Molitor made his entire Hall of Fame career off of like an, an opposite approach to what Miguel Sano does. Very different. Just, I mean, his his 3,000th hit symbolically was a line shot to opposite field for a triple, mm-hmm. right? Um, super compact, quick swing, and a guy who went, who sprayed the ball from foul pole to foul pole. I'm going to give you, because I believe Miguel Sano has the talent to be one of the best hitters in baseball. Just like I believe, I believe Andrew Wiggins in the NBA for the Timberwolves has the talent and the size to be one of the top 10 or 15 players if he just if he either had an extra bit of work ethic or understood efficiency offense and in different places on the court that he should be activating his offense from. Uh, Miguel Sano compared to, I'm just going to give you Joey Votto, Mike Trout, John Carlos Stanton, and a guy who, was, who emerged last year, Anthony Rendon, emerged mm-hmm. for the Nationals. Pretty good um, sampling of hitters. Yeah, so so a couple National League, a couple American League, got a bunch of power there in Giancarlo mm-hmm. Stanton. So some different profiles of hitters, all right? 600 plate appearance cap on yeah. these guys okay. with their strikeout rate. Okay. And here are the total strikeouts. If you took each one of those guys at 600 plate appearances yeah. and their strikeout rate, how many strikeouts they would have. And and if, if, you're, if you're listening to this, just replace strikeout rate or strikeouts with automatic outs, meaning 100% out. Sure. That's what a strikeout is. You're out unless like the ball goes to the backstop and you find it's, your way to first base. It's right? pretty close to 100 percent. Ninety nine point nine 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 percent. One hundred percent. Right. All right. So Miguel Sano would have 216 strikeouts over the course of 600 plate appearances. John Carlos Stanton would have 144. Mike Trout 108. Anthony Rendon 78. Joey Votto 72. Mm-hmm. So Joey Votto had, I believe, was it 30 or 35 home runs last year? John Carlos Stanton hit. You know, 59 or whatever home runs it was. Sano starts the season with that strikeout rate with almost 150 more automatic outs than Joey Votto. Yeah. So Votto puts the ball in play or draws walks and fills the other 150 plate appearances with things that might add to your on-base percentage. 
might add to your slugging percentage, might add to your RBI totals or your runs scored or your home run totals, right? Mm-hmm. So it's just it's it's just kind of a game of simple math. If you're willing to give up some strikeouts to gain some power, I'm all for that. John Carlos Stanton clearly does. The guy has struck out five times in two different games mm-hmm. already this year, and it's not even the middle of April yet. But when you start the season off compared to John Carlos Stanton, who is a better power hitter than you, by the way, but will occasionally hit a rifle shot 430 feet to opposite field, which Miguel Sano does once in a while too, but... Over the course of 600 plate appearances, Miguel Sano is an automatic out 60 to 70 times more than Giancarlo Stanton. Sure, yeah. And that's a big number. So, like, in that, through that prism, strikeouts matter a lot because they're just automatic outs. Um, yes, and the counterpoint to that, I'm looking at his Fangraphs page now. I'll just tell you that before he struck out three times against one of the best pitchers on the planet uh, Monday, Sano was hitting... Almost 300, and it was 296 with a 400 on base percentage, which is top of the top. I mean, all star level beyond all star. It's one of the best all stars. And then uh, it was like a 750 slugging or 700 slugging. Like, okay, great player, like top of his class offensive player. And he had a 45% strikeout rate or something like that. That's gone up now. It's I see 47%. Now, I don't like that he strikes out in half his plate appearances. Like, aesthetically, it's not pleasing. And but you when, can't even hit 200 over the course of a season if you strike out that much. Right. Like, uh, it's just not possible. He probably won't continue to hit... Even 250. Which 250 is right. if yeah. he strikes out in half his plate appearances. That, that probably won't happen. But, like, the flip side of that is, yeah, but production. I So so this is kind of what the argument boils down to to me, is, like, is production in its vacuum, worth the trade-off. And the one point where I would say no is that he probably can't sustain the numbers that he's putting up right now if he continues his current approach. There's there's definitely some luck involved. And you look at the team element of it, too. Miguel Sano walks up to the plate with one out and runners at first and third in a one-run ball game and is like a coin flip chance to strike out. That sucks for the Twins. Yeah, he is also going to hit some home runs and... 15% of the time, he'll draw a walk and they'll load the bases for the next guy, Eddie Rosario, to swing at the first pitch and ground into a double play. But there's a – that was just a cheap shot. But there's this <laughs> – there is this um, team element, too, that I think we statisticians – and I'm looping myself in with that group, although I'm not smart enough to actually belong to it. I just kind of track with their logic, and that's that that team element – matters and whether it's a manager or your teammate who's thinking like okay bare minimum need a sack fly out of you here tie the game up bring that guy in from third best case scenario you hit a home run and then we take a two-run lead but you i'm not gonna say you can't strike out there but you know how sports guys or sports talk radio guys you being one of them you know how you'll hear your colleagues go you cannot afford to miss a three there or you can't very, afford very, to strike out black and white yes you have to get the bunt down in that spot right or or you have to pick up the first down on third and one there you yeah. just you can't well actually no, you're going not, to about 75 percent right, of the time right. this just happened to be one of the 25 percent. so it's not binary <laughs> it's not binary there's not a yes and a no but i will say that like throw that argument aside it's like it does do more damage than the average strikeout in that situation for Miguel Sano to just not do anything. To say, 
okay, our base out state right now is first and third with one out, and here's Miguel Sano, so we've got a 50% chance now to go to two outs, the same situation. Your run expectancy goes down. It's just math. Like, all of this, that hurts the team, and I also think there's this psychological component of if you're the seventh-place hitter and you're scrapping your way, you're fighting hard, you're, you play your position, you pay a lot of attention to defense and base running, and while situational hitting can be overblown, you are willing to be selfless for the team and just lift a fly ball. You, know, you might not hit a three-run home run there as often as Sano. You might not draw a walk there as often as Sano. But you're willing to trade yourself to tie that game. I'm just putting myself in the shoes of that player, call him Brian LaMare, whatever. And then you see Miguel Sano strike out because he's swinging out of his shoes on three consecutive pitches. I think there's a real psychological effect there. Sano shouldn't have to cater to Ryan Lemaire. I'm not saying that. I'm I'm just saying that like this is a team game. It'd be cool if Sano had a Ryan Lemaire like beard though, don't you think? <laughs> it looks like Ryan Lemaire wakes up every morning and paints his beard on. It's very impressive. As a guy with some beard game, but like not as much as I probably would like, Ryan Lemaire definitely puts me to shame. I'll have to pay closer attention to that. I have yeah. not paid too much attention to Twins beard game since uh, Joe Maurer shaved his, and Ricky Nolasco left town because there's a guy with an immaculately groomed beard every single day. Like Glenn Perkins and Phil Hughes have different kind of beard. like homeless neck beard game, <laughs> where just, they look like Civil War soldiers from the 1860s. <laughs> Andrew or Luck has a little bit of that going for sure. Yeah, too. yeah. Hey, I I teased Mahler's quote earlier, so like those are my thoughts. That's just me being like a a nerdy observer of baseball. Paul Molitor is not quite that. He's more cerebral than I am, but I wouldn't classify him as a nerd. He's like a jock's jock, old-timey manager who, yes, played the game, and by the way, also played it better than just about everybody. Um, So I always try to measure my own thoughts, and when I disagree with Paul Molitor, I kind of go back to the drawing board a little bit. Maybe that's right or wrong. I don't know, but I'm just confessing to you, Phil, and to podcast listeners if I strongly disagree with Molitor about something, I don't think to myself, well, he's an idiot or he's missing something that I understand because right. I know what WOBA stands right. for. It's usually I'm, I'm with you. It's usually like, man, I might have done that differently, but I totally see Molitor's logic. Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> or like, or man, I would have done that differently. What am I missing? Right, exactly. I, I like, feel the same way. What does he know that I don't know? And yeah. so in this case, Molitor, I asked him, do you have to talk to a guy like that who strikes out? almost half the time but is still doing damage when he does put the ball in play or or like do you just sort of let him do his thing and we'll see what happens at 150 plate appearances or 300 plate appearances i i think i asked the question more eloquently than that but probably not much more um Molitor said uh i haven't felt the need to talk to him at this point i'm quoting him directly here on a transcript um i think we've seen even in his at bats that have ended in a strikeout a lot of them have been pretty good. The other day, I think, I wouldn't say he was at his best, but when he's taking three walks and seeing seven or eight pitches in each of those at-bats, laying off some tough pitches, you know, as opposed to some of those strikeouts where he'll expand and they began to look like it was kind of not as competitive. That's Molitor sort of trailing off he does that sometimes he interrupts his own thoughts i'll finish the quote here and then just get your reaction here's Molitor quote but i think given the fact that we've had some consistent games and the production has been decent and when i've needed good at bats he's given it to me he's basically saying 
that's the end of his quote. He's basically saying, like, yeah, Sano's striking out a lot, and trust me, Molitor's recognized that. Uh, he's probably more aware than than I am about strikeout rates and, and stuff like that because um, Molitor hates this transition into it's okay to strike out now. He does not like this trend in baseball, but he says – what are you going to do? Yeah. I mean, 1,000 OPS is 1,000 OPS. Yeah. So that was a good 20-minute deep dive into Miguel Sano's eight-game strikeout rate. But also, in case I buried this nonchalantly, he has the highest, I'll say it again, the highest strikeout rate of, of qualified hitters in the history of baseball, not counting pitchers who hit. And even then, there's only like four or five pitchers historically <laughs> yeah. that have a, a worse strikeout rate. That's One of them bad. is Lefty Grove. I oh, mean, you got to go way back. That's a list. Yeah. That's a list to it, be a part of. It's aggressive. I do want to say two things, and we'll wrap on the Sano point. Um, you can tell f- people about your friends from whom you buy cars. But I think uh, two things need to be noted. That was a fun conversation. But we're still talking about eight games. Like, obviously... It's eight games that are sort of the same, if not worse, than the yeah. first 200 games. I but wouldn't yeah. have even talked about that if it was like, are you worried about Logan Morrison being one for 23? Yeah. That's no, different. Different. To- yeah. This is... More of a, a career trend we're talking about. This is a bigger picture conversation yeah. of, like, conscious decision that Miguel Sano is making to trade contact for power. At least, I believe it's a conscious decision. Yes. Two other things that need to be pointed out. Yeah, so one is the the fact that we're talking about... A couple of series here. Let's see what happens in on June 1st. Two is, let's also see what happens on June 1st, because hopefully it's not 30 degrees in Minnesota and Pittsburgh and Baltimore on June 1st. I really think there are some hitters affected more by the cold than others. Personally, I believe that Sano is one of them, that it just sucks going up there, sitting in a heated dugout, kind of, and then walking up there without, like, great winter clothing protection. This isn't Nordic skiing or ice fishing where you're bundled up. You're kind of like you're wearing the, what do you call those hats that are covering like your mouth and face, but but it's ski, just like a ski mask. A ball clava or I, I, I don't know. It, you're wearing something, but it's not great. Like you're not happy with how your body feels. And yes, the pitchers have to contend with it too, and so do other hitters, but like these just aren't optimal conditions. And I think we have to at least give For sure. some thought to – these stats aren't happening in a vacuum. They're happening in crappy early May or early April weather in Minnesota. Like, man, that matters a little bit to me. I try it to pay for attention sure does. to that. It for sure does. Um, I would like to tell, before we get into some of the things we've learned, uh, just even in one game against the Astros, which is a good lit- litmus test for the season because the Astros are going to be one of the best teams in baseball again, I would like to tell you about the place that I buy and get uh, service on my vehicle at Luther Brookdale Toyota, 694 and Brooklyn Boulevard here in the Twin Cities. And, uh, you know, if, if the snow ever melts here, we're halfway through spring, it seems like, and the uh, the snow is still on the ground. But the uh, the summer months are coming sometime here soon, hopefully. And that means maybe drives up to the cabin and road trips and things like that. Make sure your tire game is in tip-top shape. You can stop into Luther Brookdale Toyota right now. And you can buy any three tires and get the fourth one for just a dollar on any Toyota. Make sure you are running smooth and running safe for road trips and for driving around as soon as this crappy weather eventually lifts and baseball weather emerges. Plus, you'll be supporting the Touch em All podcast because Luther Brookdale Toyota supports us and we ask you to support them. Also, a quick note, too, for our uh, friends over at the Raised by Wolves podcast, Derek James and Manny Hill. 
you might be listening to this with the result of Wolves Nuggets already having happened. Uh, or maybe you're just anticipating some colossal failure by the Wolves to miss the playoffs. You're clenching. Or right maybe now. they, maybe they end a 14 year playoff drought. It's all coming up here on Wednesday night. Whether you're listening to the Raised by Wolves podcast, uh, before that game or after that game, it's good analysis. Manny Hill from the Ride with Royce. Derek James is an NBA writer. He writes for 1500ESPN.com and they pump out regular Wolves analysis on the Raised by Wolves podcast, which you can find on uh, Apple Podcasts, 1500ESPN.com, the new mobile app, or pretty much anywhere you would download and subscribe to podcasts. So Twins-Astros, that's the series that's going on right now as we sit inside Target Field's press box. Lance Lynn had a really interesting outing against one of the toughest lineups in baseball with just machine hitters up and down. Mm -hmm. Let's keep in mind, too, this is a lineup mostly intact still from the World Series, and I guess I'd have to compare lineups, but we're talking about some of the best hitters in the world, yeah. making some of the best hitter, uh, the best pitchers for the Dodgers, guys like Kenley Jansen and Brandon Morrow and good starting pitchers, completely unable to get anybody out against that lineup. Lance Lynn comes in, goes five innings, puts some guys on base, the walks kind of continued, but struck out, what was it, nine strikeouts nine in five innings? Yep. He was unhappy with that outing. I looked at that and said, you know what? Like That's going to be a grind of a lineup anyway. So if you get through it scoreless in five innings and strike out a bunch of hitters, yeah. I will sign up for that ten times out of ten. Yeah, I thought that was a positive from Lance Lane. He grinded through that thing and got a bunch of good outs. I agree, and I also think it's interesting that he was flogging himself afterwards. You mentioned World Series lineup. They, lo they lost Beltran and Gurriel's hurt, but like this is the same lineup. Yeah. You still got Altuve. You still got Correa. You still got Springer. Alex Bregman doesn't get talked about enough as a great player. Like that's a that's a pretty good baseball team over there, I think. Um I don't think that's going out on too much of a limb. Uh he said after the game, I've got my Lance Lynn column pulled up. Marnie Gellner of Fox Sports North asked him, How do you look at that? I mean, five innings, yeah, but nine strikeouts and that's a pretty good team over there. He kept him in the game and Jennifer Leonard's good. So Lynn kind of processes all that information, and there was not a ray of positivity at all. He said, well, you look at it as 105 pitches in five innings. That's not good enough, in my opinion. The strikeouts are good. The walks are too many. Too many pitches. Not enough innings. And that, I mean, like, okay, that's fair, too. But, again, that lineup right. is so, maybe the toughest lineup in all of baseball, the Yankees would raise their hand and say, what about us? Sure. So maybe there's a gap between... I mean, it's possible Lance Lynn, who pitched five years at a high level with the Cardinals, has pitched in World Series games, has has you know flirted with... I don't know if flirting with Cy Youngs. I don't know if I would go that far. But like he's been a really good pitcher. And he he's tried not quite calling. the same pitcher as he was before the surgery. So maybe there's a gap between expectations and reality. He tried calling Cy Youngs one time, but they didn't even call him back. Wow. They didn't. He sent, he sent a text. creepy text to Cy Young late at night. No, it was pleasant, but they flirting just with you. weren't interested. They had other people, <laughs> other apples of their eye. Sorry, I'm uh, I'm talking with Max Scherzer right now. Hey, Clayton Kershaw in line two. Yeah. So I'm curious about Lance Lynn as a guy because I didn't meet him in spring training. I had left Fort Myers before the Twins made that move, but I'm I'm pleasantly surprised by the high expectations that he holds for himself. Now, personally, I think, Phil, we're going to eventually start to do away with talking about how many innings you pitched or even the number of pitches and just say how many 
hitters did you get out the third time through the order <laughs> before we were compelled to go to the bullpen? Mm-hmm. And that, to me, is an indication of a good start. So, like, Lance Lynn puts a lot of traffic on the bases his first two starts, and it's not been perfect. But keep in mind, a month ago, he was sitting on his couch. Well, I guess, like, a month and two days ago or something. Depending on when you're listening to this podcast, it was a little more than a month ago. Then he signs. He has an abbreviated spring training. He faces a bunch of minor leaguers, and then he's ready to go for the Pittsburgh game. Obviously, that didn't get off to the right start. Listeners will remember the first inning grand slam that he gave up. But it's one start, and now it's two starts of what the Twins hope will be 32 for Lance Lynn. One of the reporters that covers the team on a regular basis asked Lance Lynn, just kind of in a lighthearted way, you know, because we thought it was an okay start, and it's fine, and that's the Astros over there. And you're just flogging yourself. So this person said, well, you are on an eight-inning scoreless streak now. If you go back to the start at Pittsburgh and then these five scoreless mm-hmm. innings, that, does it feel like you're on a bit of a hot streak? And the question was kind of just in jest, a little bit in jest, but also like, hey, man, cheer up. The sun's going to come up tomorrow. Stop flogging yourself. How, like, I feel like report, sports reporters have that instinct sometimes. Have to like, prop them up. Oh, but like it's okay. No, no, no. But if you the get building is burning, and let's talk about it. If you get too high and mighty, though, we'll go the other way. <laughs> yeah, you know, if you shut out the Astros on you know 120 pitches with five strikeouts and four walks, would be like, yeah, but remember those four guys you put on base? I actually remember. Uh, I'm Just talk th- about that. I'm going to throw Fox Sports North under the bus here because a few years ago, I think it was a King Felix start. Like King Felix in his prime went nine innings, flirted with a no hitter at one point. Uh, early in the game. It was just nine innings, double-digit strikeouts, and the Twins had two hits. Hmm. But Jason Kubel had both the hits. Okay. And Jason Kubel went two for four and was in the middle of a hot streak. And the number one, and they got beat like 7 nothing. But the number one, hey, coming up on the post-game show, Jason Kubel stays hot oh, with a two-for-four wow. performance. Like, That's... no, you don't have to prop it up. It's okay. That's... They got smoked. Yeah. Anyways, what did Lance Lynn respond uh, with to the eight, yeah. eight hot innings? Eight, eight, eight in a row now. you got to start, uh, you got to be feeling yourself a little bit. And he said, uh, they said, does that feel, you know, pretty good? Does it feel like you're on a hot streak? He says, quote, no, it feels miserable, actually. I feel like I've gotten off to the worst start I've ever gotten off to in a big league season. I need to change real quick, Lynn said. He finished his quote with a little half smirk. I wouldn't even call it a smirk. It was a half smirk, he said. Good thing is there's a lot of season left, so I'll be okay. And it's like. Is that hyperbole or is he serious? I think that he You struck really, out like nine Astros, man. It's I, I not think that, that he bad. really takes this that seriously, which is a good sign for the Twins. Uh, also a good sign like, you know, this is a one-year prove-it deal, so he sort of, he almost like has to treat it like that. This is an audition for him. Yeah. Your resume in baseball, you don't have a little-known secret to those of us uh, working on the outside world. Like, I, I work a desk job. It is imperative that if you are applying to said job, you have your resume in order, and here are the things that I've done, and here are my credentials. Major League Baseball players don't have resumes. They don't hand in to Derek Falvey their curriculum vitae that says, well, I I pitched for the Cardinals for parts of seven seasons, and I have Tommy John surgery in my path. You have to explain the gap year in your resume (laughs) on your baseball card. Yeah, well, I took a gap year, and I actually— I traveled the world. I was around Europe. I spent some time in Poland. I'm more worldly now for my experiences, but Lance Lynn's resume is the 175 innings that he pitches in a season, the 32 starts that he makes. He's now applying for other jobs, whether it's with the Twins or somebody else, we don't know, but like, 
two starts, no big deal for the Twins' 2018 season. To Lance Lynn, this is a big deal. That's two of 32, hoping to then go cash in on your next big contract. I think that's nothing but a positive for the Twins that he's going to continue to try to over-deliver in his one year. Yeah, I think think the fact that he's not just comfortable with an outing that's – that I thought was fine, but like the fact that he thinks it was trash and right. and thinks there's a lot more in the tank against a lineup like that is a good sign. And in general, which is my second takeaway here on the pitching side from that first game against the Astros, it just and we and who knows maybe they maybe they give up 20 runs in their next two games and this narrative is just blown out of the water. <laughs> it feels like the Twins for the first time in a long time have the pitchers one through 13 now, I guess to at least go toe-to-toe with lineups like that and not embarrass themselves. I mean, it's yeah. there, there's been some series over the past few years, especially before these these last two where they've been more competitive, where you face a lineup like that, and it's just, unless Irvin Santana's pitching, it's just bombs away. And you bring in some poor reliever in the sixth or seventh, and sure. it's just like J.R. Graham being sacrificed to Wolves. And now... You're going in, and you're and you can look down to the bullpen, and there's like three or four guys that you you know you know what that guy could Addison Reed, even though he gave up a run, Addison yeah. Reed he can blow pitches by some of these hitters by I George like Springer, right? Pitch. Yeah, for sure. Uh, it, it it I'm I'm more comfortable with the Twins pitching staff, starters and relievers, against a lineup like that than I've been in a long time. Yep. Uh, the only contention I'll give to that is like Trevor Hildenberger's got to pick it up. Bad spring, couple of rough outings where stuff's really getting barreled. I think he's one of the best relievers in the system, and uh, I think he's got to figure that out pretty quickly, um, get that ship righted. But uh, but otherwise, I mean, it's tough to criticize the bullpen. I, I also said on your show earlier this week, Phil, that this series in particular, and I'll I, no matter what happens in the final two games of the series, I'll still stand by this thought, it shows just how far the Twins have come on the pitching side of things. It also shows that there's another level there, that the Twins don't yet have their Yu Darvish, their Clayton Kershaw, their Max Scherzer, their Justin Verlander, Dallas Keuchel, whatever. The pitching matchups, Lance Lynn and Verlander, obviously that favors Houston, but like fighting chance, and that's what played out Monday for the Twins. Mm-hmm. Same deal tonight as we record this podcast. First pitch is about an hour and ten minutes away. It's uh, Dallas Keuchel and Jake Odorizzi. All right, maybe probably take Keuchel, but... Fighting chance. I think Odorizzi's a yeah, good pitcher. It's not Dallas Keuchel and Sam Deduno. Exactly or right. Or Dallas Keuchel and Nick Tepish. Right, yeah. right. And so it's like it's a guy who had a three thirty ERA three years ago in the American League East. Right. Yes, yeah. Right. With tomorrow's matchup too, same kind of deal. Like Lance McCullers, you probably take him over Kyle Gibson. But Oh, for sure. But yeah. I'm buying Kyle Gibson stock this year, and if he's a mid rotation starter, that's a competitive ball game. You took the words out of my mouth, like Tepish, Adam Wilk. You're not Tim Melville. Like with all due respect to those players, and especially you're if, overmatched. And if Tim listens to the podcast again, sorry, we appreciate you listening. It's probably the one negative <laughs> iTunes review that we've had in three years of the show, and that, um, and that comment is guaranteed to land to land us ten more negative iTunes reviews. It's over for us. <laughs> I I will leave you, Phil, unless you've got a stat of the week for no, me. No, uh, well, yeah, I'll you. give it for the third time. Miguel Sano has more strikeouts. <laughs> on a rate basis than anyone other than Lefty Grove and, like, four other <laughs> pitchers yeah. turned hitters. Uh, yikes. Yeah. yeah, that's not good. Um, I have one that I guess is good. Still, it's Lance Lynn-focused, and I wrote it in my Lance Lynn column um, about how he feels miserable about the worst start that he's ever gotten off to in a big league season. 
So he threw 105 pitches against the Astros in his second start, and I thought it was interesting that a guy who features mostly just fastball uh, changeup is fastball changeup, right? I'm getting that right. Yeah, and maybe a little cut or something like that. He basically he's not he's not coming in with a big curveball. His knuckle screwball too. Don't forget about that the knuckle screw. Yeah. Uh, Wasn't uh, Dice K. Matsuzaka? Didn't he throw a pitch that actually stopped in the air for like a brief second and then kept going? That would be Bugs Bunny that oh, you're okay. thinking yeah, of, actually. Right. Yeah, I get those guys mixed up. Here is So the pitch repertoire is interesting to me because, like, Lance Lynn doesn't seem like he offers that much variation to a hitter that's looking. And, hey, if you don't have one of those pitches that night, like, you're just kind of up a creek and hope to go get it. It's sort of, I think, what we've seen happen to Phil Hughes over the last couple of years where they, like, just eliminate pitches and then, okay, try to get a 91-mile-an-hour fastball by me. And Lance Lynn is... He's not doing that same thing because obviously he's been effective in the NL Central over the past six seasons. Um, Here's my long-winded way of getting to the stat of the week, which is of those 105 pitches that Lance Lynn threw against the Astros, 15 swinging strikes, which is a pretty high number in five innings worth of work without giving up a run. You're not facing that many hitters, and you're facing a lineup who very – purposely very intentionally got rid of all their high strikeout big swing and miss guys they have not only great hitters who hit for average and power and draw walks they don't really swing and miss very often and lance lynn i think that's an encouraging sign yeah five innings 15 swinging strikes and 105 pitches what was that pitch that bugs bunny threw that like it's kind of spun around in the air like a screw I don't actually know. You know I'm saying? just thinking of like the changeup where he's got all those big, bulky, roided up hitters in uh, they Looney Tunes. They swing three times. And he'll get he'll contact. throw one pitch and get three swings and misses. It's very efficient. Yeah, that's yeah. <laughs> keep your pitch count down. Probably pitch deep in the game. You know who'd like that? Burt Blylevin. 